I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Unedited. My guest today is Shauna Nequist. She's a sought-after speaker and the New York Times best-selling author of Cold Tangerines, Bittersweet, Bread and Wine, Savor, and Present Over Perfect. Shauna has a passionate following, though she's pulled back a lot from her public platform over the last year. She and her husband Aaron decided to move their family from Chicago to New York City. She decided to start seminary, and now she finds herself reimagining major aspects of her career and calling. I ask her about all that. We talk about starting over, handling difficult seasons, the Enneagram, which she introduced me two years ago, and even the new book she's just starting to write. It's a vulnerable and open conversation, exactly what you'd expect from Shauna. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Shauna Nequist, unedited. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. It's been way too long. It has been way too long. I thought you died. Like you, you you just went away. What happened? Well, okay. So the last time I saw you, I was thinking about this this morning. So the last time I saw you, we had dinner in Orlando in the fall, right? Yeah. You were speaking at a Christian radio conference. Yes. And you came with me and then we had sushi afterwards. That's right. Yes. And you were just... So yeah, it's been a long time. You were just about to move to New York then, right? Yes. It was like a month before we moved, I think. All right. How did that go? Picking up your life and moving to New York City. That's crazy. Well, I mean, moving is just horrible. Right. Just the the moving process. And what I mostly mean is moving out. Yeah. I think moving out is the worst. Deciding what to keep and what not and packing and all that stuff and saying goodbye. I I hated that part. Um, So moving away was really, really hard. And we absolutely love it here. Being here is wonderful. But the moving away, I mean, it was, your whole life was Chicago. All, I mean, your whole world, when I think of you, is hosting and community and all that. And that was Chicago. And you walked away from all of that. How, how have, you, have you found new community so quickly or are you still looking for that? Well, you know, I would say one of the things that really helped us when we moved, you're exactly right. We had a very kind of specific way of living in Chicago, very, you know, both sides of extended family, old friends, cousins, college roommates, people in and out of our house all the time, a very kind of long term history in that town. And we loved it. And so we knew that was not replicable. Like we didn't expect to come to New York and have it be the same. So we really, and one of the things we kept saying to ourselves through this move is the town we lived in was Barrington. We said, let's not try to ever do no, expect New York to be Barrington. And let's not try to do New York the Barrington way. Let's let it be different because it is different. So we kind of, left behind kind of closed a chapter of one way of living and started a new one. And so there's a lot of time, just the four of us. It's really, really fun. That's been a really great new part of it. We miss that sort of big, cozy, extended family way of living, but we love the, just of just the four of us way of living. That's not something we've ever really done before. Do you see it? I mean, it, I guess it's almost like going on a vacation to a place that's like nothing like home and it's so enjoyable, whatever, but it's like, I don't know that I could live here forever. Is it, is it like that? Or do you feel like New York's becoming home? I mean, do you feel like you're here and like, we're going to be urban and then we're going to go back to the life we knew? You know, when we started this kind of process and maybe it was just because it was the only way our kind of our brains could handle it we were like okay we're gonna move to new york we're gonna go to seminary you know if if we go as quickly as we can through that that's four semesters it's less than two years and then who knows and so we sort of told ourselves this is like a two-year thing who knows when we got here um we really love it and I can absolutely see us staying longer and I can see this being home. Um, I, I would say neither of us or the four of us, we're not looking at this as an extended trip. We're looking at this as a new home and a new way of living. We really, really love it. Okay. So tell me you went to, you're going to seminary. Why? Well, uh, well, I haven't started yet. Um, Aaron started in January and I have deferred a year 
um, because I have a book that I'm working on. And by working on, I mean, I'm desperately behind on. And so um, I'm going to take this summer and the fall up till Christmas to try to get that finished. But the question of why, um, there's a million different reasons. And one of them is we just happened to find this particular seminary and this particular group of people who uh, work here and teach here and go here. And we felt really like-minded and compelled by what they were talking about. And we decided like, what a great opportunity to get to be a part of something like this. What, what is it? Like, tell me, like describe it, how like like-minded and all that. What, what is it that they're about? Well, so it's an Episcopal seminary. Okay. Um, so, it, and it's the first Episcopal seminary in the country. So it was started because, um, you know, in 1831, I probably have that wrong. Someone's definitely going to correct me on that. 18 something something. Um, if you wanted to become an Episcopal priest in the U.S., in order to do that, you had to go to Oxford in England. And so they created this seminary as a way of, a, a place to, uh, create priests without them having to go back to England. And so there's this incredible history here, amazing professors, so many of my favorite writers and priests and theologians and people I look up to have taught here or written books here or lived here. So there's, you know, incredible kind of legacy, but they're also very interested in the way that the history of the Episcopal Church can partner with some of the things happening in other denominations and traditions. Um, so there's a lot of conversation about learning from each other, coming from different traditions and bringing the best of both of those. And so especially for Aaron, you know, uh, my husband, uh, I know you know that he's my husband, but whatever. Um, uh, a lot of his work and kind of his great passion is what are the things that he, that the, the best of what he grew up with in the evangelical tradition and how can those be useful or helpful for other traditions? And similarly, how can he learn from other traditions to sort of round out some of the things that he wasn't experiencing in the evangelical tradition? So that intersection is sort of the thing he's most excited about. And there's a lot of really interesting conversations about that here. He's been exploring that for a while. Uh, in Absolutely. Chicago, he was leading a more liturgical service and stuff. It, it, it is so he, it was him who wanted to come and do this, and then you said, "I'll do it too." Or was it something that you also feel called to? So I would say it was both of us saying we're ready to make this move. Although Aaron wanted to move a long time before I did. Okay. He's been asking for several years, like, is this the year we're going to have an adventure? Is this the year we're going to have an adventure? And I, I was kind of like, I would like to have an adventure like for a week. Let's go on a crazy trip. And he was like, no, what I mean is I want to live somewhere else. And to be honest, I didn't want to for a long time. I thought that our life was going to unfold in Chicago no matter what. And then several different things kind of starting in like a three years ago, several different aspects of our life there changed. The, the ministry that Aaron was a part of shifted and uh, a million different things kind of all happened in the course of three years. And we realized this is, uh, we're ready for a change. And uh, we didn't think it would be New York. I think it just seemed like sort of a crazy option. Like who does that? I thought you so would end up in San Diego or something. I as really did. did I. Oh, really? <laughs> totally. San Diego was my number one. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Sun, water, <laughs> that's you. Right. Totally. And so that's what, you know, I, I very much was like, so we're going to leave Chicago. I know where we should go. We should go to the beach for sure. <laughs> um, and, and we talked about that and we visited a bunch of places and we didn't really consider New York and it sort of snuck up on us. Uh, we had come here for the last couple summers to help a church that we really love. And, um, it was one of those things where all these doors we had been knocking on felt like they were just firmly shut and we just tapped on the doors here and they opened and we kept saying like, well, this is not what we planned, but let's try the next door. Let's try the next door. Let's try the next door. And there was an ease about it that was so different from all the other conversations we were having. And we thought like, I, I do believe that one of the ways God guides us and provides for us is, you know, you knock on doors and you see which ones open and the tremendous sense of like momentum and openness toward this move. It was really apparent. It was very exciting. Do you, I mean, you talked about how life was changing a lot over the last three years leading up to this move. And it's almost like, you know, the life that you had built, the life you both had, it was almost like it was 
external forces kind of took it away from you. Do you feel, do you feel like pushed out of what you want or, or is it, or is it truly a positive thing? Like, have you, have you had to wrestle with, I didn't ask for this, you know, <laughs> like, but we'll make the best of it. I mean, is, is that it? Or is it like, no, 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 we were ready. And thankfully we were able to start over. I don't know. You know, it's some of both. Um, I think Aaron would probably answer it differently. I think Aaron would say he was ready to go for a long time. Yeah. And, um, I would, I would also say when I look back at my life, a friend of mine, a very wise friend used to say that, um, God doesn't work the same way in all of our lives, but he tends to work the same way over and over in each person's life. Like there's sort of a language or a pattern over time. And I would say one of the clear patterns in my life is I do not pay attention to the whispers and I don't pay attention to like the slightly raised voice and I wait until there's just like no other option. And then it's like, oh, well, that's clear. Um, I've tended to overstay. I'm, I'm a very loyal person. Yeah. Um, and so I have tended to stay too long in most of the situations I've been in. And so um, I'm not the kind of person that's going to like, well, the winds of change are blowing and I'm going to be the first one out. Yeah. I, I tend to be... Um, it takes me a long time to get used to one of those ideas. And so I would say that if I could look back, one of my regrets is that I didn't pay attention to those whispers along the way. There were invitations and signs and opportunities for the last several years. And had I been paying attention, had I been listening better, um, I think I would have done things really differently. I wasn't. I was really focused on what I thought was the one way of living. And so one of the things I'm trying to do right now is learn from that and say, you know, are there other areas of my life where I am dead set on one way? I might be absolutely wrong and there might be a million right ways that I'm not considering. And so um, there was a lot of loss in leaving Chicago. Of course there was. But, but one of the things I am learning right now, and I, it, it, I see it in our life and I see it in so many other people's lives, that something can be very difficult and involve so much loss and also be deeply right and there can be a lot of joy and beauty on the other side of it and both are true so our life here is not a consolation prize it's not like well we want our chicago life but we'll settle for this it's a new way of living and i'm really thankful for it and that doesn't mean i'm thankful for all the pain that got us here but both are true the uh, when i was going through um it would have been, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I was going through a divorce, as you know, and, and, and I was talking to, uh, Rick Warren, uh, about it. It was during my separation we were together and, and I was just, you know, it was just one of those days that I'll never forget. And I was talking about kind of like the roller coaster of life and the good seasons and the super hard seasons. And he's like, I use, he said, I used to think of life like that, like a roller coaster of good and bad. And he said, and then like 10 years earlier, um, the day that he got the news that a purpose driven life was the top selling book in the world was the same day they got the news that his wife Kay had cancer. And he said that fundamentally shifted my view of good and bad seasons. That it's a more like a, a like a railroad track that they're side by side and there's always good and bad and everything. And it's not the up and the down, you know, and that pivoted my thinking going through a hard season about like what God was doing in the midst of it. There was still beauty and, and growth and, and things happening in the midst of what was the hardest thing that I had ever gone through, you know? And so it's like what you're saying about Chicago and the loss, but it's beautiful as well. And it's that tension that I think like we tend to like go one way or the other or see things through one lens or the other and not realize that it's always, there's always beauty even in the midst of hard. I totally, I totally agree. And I think a lot of times it's like, um, I think especially for a writer, this is hard, but um, a friend of mine was using the phrase, um, a clean narrative. And he's a writer as well. And he was saying like, I want to tell a tidier story about my life, right? Like we want it to be like, it was hard and then I overcame it and it was amazing. And now it's always amazing. And that's fine for like screenwriting or fantasy writing. Right. But it, I, I think you're exactly right that most of us are living on those train tracks and there's beauty and joy and freedom and fun and also heartbreak and pain and struggle and moments of despair, sometimes all in the same day. And to think that we can, um, that, that you're going to have like a year of just like bliss 
uh, and then like two weeks of sadness or whatever the math is, right. a lot of it's all unfolding at the same time. And that's okay. The, the, I, what you said about like missing the whispers is I resonate with that a ton. And like, you know, it, looking back in business or looking back in life and you're just like, how was I blinded to God was like clearly trying to open my eyes to this, whatever. And I was just oblivious to it. Almost like, was I being stubborn? Was I wanting to do things on my own? Like, it's so like, do you find, do you, when you look back and you see it in a new light, do you like beat yourself up or do you just go, I'm thank you Lord for showing me now. And then hope, or are you looking forward? You know, there have definitely been moments where I have felt a lot of regret and a lot of like, man, why was I so blind to this? Or why was I? I so dead set on doing it my way. And I have, uh, I think, started down that road of like, if only I had, if only I had. And I was actually just with a friend yesterday, and I think I was starting to do that. And she was like, no, 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 no. You are where you are now. Right. And, you know, again, like it's such a cliche, but hindsight is twenty twenty. You look back and it's so obvious, but it wasn't obvious then. And uh, I would say that the learning, though, is just what you were just talking about. I am trying now as best I can to ask more open questions about my current reality and not let my preconceived notion or idea or belief drive something. I'm trying to be a better observer of reality as opposed to, well, this is what I decided it's going to be, so I'm going to stay with it. So to really do a better job of saying... Um, is this working or not? What are the good parts? What are the parts that have stopped working a long time ago? And I'm not willing to say that because I don't want it to be true. I'm trying to be a better observer of reality as opposed to, again, yeah, let my view of how it has to be um, overlay and obscure the actual reality of a situation. Are you a planner? Yes. And I'm, I'm learning to be less of a planner. And, and this has actually, uh, this has sort of reset so many things in my life. Um, but I think I used to just sort of manhandle my life into like, I, I had a plan and I was going to make it happen and it, and it worked a lot of the time. And I'm learning, uh, that I'm in, I'm in control of a lot less than I previously imagined. I wonder if like, I, I now I'm thinking about like even the community and the life that you had in Chicago and you know, the, the, the creating of experiences and the food and the whatever that's like, you want the outcome, you want the connection, you want the relationship. And so I will do X, Y, Z to create the moment that then that will happen. I mean, it's like planning, right? I mean, it's like you, it's wonderful and beautiful and joyful in the midst of it. But like you were working really hard to make that happen, you know? And I wonder if like, maybe there's a parallel to how you were living life too, you know? Interesting. Absolutely. I think I felt a lot of, um, my life felt very defined. Mm. Um, this, this is who I am. This is how I live. This is how we live. This is what I believe. This is the kind of food I make. This is how I dress. This is how our house works. And it was funny when we moved here, so much just got sort of like, it's like taking a deck of cards and just throwing up up in the air and seeing where they land. And so right after we moved here, a friend was like, how would you define like your personal like aesthetic or style in terms of like home design? And I was like, well, to be honest, the day we left Chicago, I could have told you with complete 100% clarity. And now I don't know. And maybe I'll tell you three years from now, like there was a defined nature to how our life was there. And, and, and that was good. And there is a really exciting and also very undefined aspect of life here. And it's, and I like it and it's weird. I do think it's interesting that you're talking about how you used to be more of a planner and now you're trying to be, but when I was like, are you going to be there very long? You're like, well, I'm going to do this until this fall. And then at Christmas I'll do this. And that, you know, you're still doing it. Well, I, that's true. I would also say publishing. Yeah, that's true. Just naturally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there's deadlines. There's uh, um, there, You're always thinking one of the weird parts of being in publishing is you're always, you're not really talking about tomorrow, but you're talking about like 2022 quite often. Yeah. Um, what's your Enneagram type? Uh, seven with a six wing. Okay. The six, that's the loyal thing. Yes, exactly. I, I, I just, um, I, our, our friend, Jesse Carey, he, he's always, uh, he does this podcast with us. If you guys are listening, um, he's one of the funniest, most spontaneous people I know. And, and a lot of people have told him you're a seven and he and I were in Montana a couple months ago and decided like, let's, let's go deeper into this. Right. And, uh, he's a six with a seven wing. 
And cause he, he is one of the most loyal, like trustworthy, dependable people. He is in your corner. He's a thousand percent in your corner. You know, and it's like, that's his, that's when I think of Jesse, I think of that more than I think of the fun spontaneous. So that's interesting that you guys are kind of on other sides of that. I totally, I, uh, and, you know, I mean, I adore Jesse. Like I just, I think he is, I think he's one of the smartest and truly one of the funniest people I know. Oh, yeah. Um, and I can see what you're saying that there is such a, um, when he invests in something, when he connects to something, he's in it long term. And I would say I'm, uh, in my Enneagram work or whatever, I tend to think that, um, your, your type is, is long-term, but your wings change over time or shift in kind of percentage over time. I am, uh, almost 50, 50, I would say seven and six. Um, I'm not like a seven with a dash of six. Right. I'm very much in the middle of those spaces, I, especially right now. I, I, my, my life was changed. Don Miller gave me the book back in 2013. I never read it. And then one day when I was going through my separation, I, you know, I was going through counseling and stuff and just felt like this verbally processing thing was just, I was kind of just in circles, you know, it was just like on a treadmill. I didn't feel growth and breakthrough and it had been a while. Maybe it was 2014. Uh, I finally cracked open that Enneagram book and started to read it. And I remember that Saturday morning, I sat there for two hours and like discovered so much about how God wired me. And one of the things it said is you feel misunderstood by everybody in your life, including the people closest to you. You feel like nobody really understands you. I'm sitting there just bawling. I called you. And, I remember. And you talked to me for a couple hours and mm -hmm. I'm telling you that was more transformational in my emotional and mental health and growth and breakthrough going through that hard season than a year and a half of verbally processing with a counselor. Honestly, it, it just transformed my identity. Cause when you could be honestly, not to be too tra transparent here, but when you're going through a divorce, you are being rejected by the person closest to you because fundamentally they're rejecting who you are. Like, you know what I mean? And so it's like, well, am I broken? Am I, you know, all these things. And of course we need to pursue health and growth and all that, but this uh, discovering the Enneagram and that God made me a unique way. And I don't need to apologize for that, but within that there's all the spectrums of health and what does it look like to be a healthier version of who God created you? Like, Oh, that was different than I need to change. I need to change who I am. You know what I mean? Uh, totally. It was life changing. I think one of the huge gifts of the Enneagram is it, um, it gives you a vision of yourself with all the best parts and all the worst parts. And it's not um, just stop being all the bad parts. Yeah. It, it also gives you an opportunity to say, you know what, there are, there are really good things that I bring as well. Um, and that those are not ever going to change. Like I'm never going to magically wake up and be a different type and have different strengths and weaknesses, but I, I can do the best with these that God has put inside of me. Have you, I mean, back then it didn't seem like the Enneagram was as widely uh, adopted or known as it is now. It's like a, like a Christian dinner party trick now or something, you know, it's like, what do you think about how ubiquitous it's gotten? It, it seems like it's changing people's understanding of it, you know? Well, on, you know, on one hand, I love it. And so I'm like, I'm an, I'm an old school Enneagram person. This yeah. has been a, a part of my life for probably 15, maybe more than that years. No, probably more like 20. Um, uh, when we were still living in Grand Rapids, I kind of stumbled upon it and ended up a, a friend that I worked with was an Enneagram trainer and she helped me so much. And so it's been a very important part of my life for a long time. And I love that it's kind of gaining, uh, people are becoming more aware of it. I think it's super helpful. I think overall it's helpful. I do get a little, um, when it, when it devolves into like just jokes or labels or you meet someone and, and after three sentences, they're like, you're such a five. Um, I think it's a really deep thing about how we were made. And I think it's a really meaningful path for spiritual growth. I don't think it's a joke or a label that we put on each other real quickly or real casually. That's my only concern about it. It changes how I, how I do see people though. Like you really can like, you know, you're working with somebody or you're friends with somebody and, you like immediately go, okay, what a, I mean, he's really a nine, but, and, and, and as opposed to it being like, well, now I've typecast you. It's like, well, now I have understanding of what moves your heart and okay, I, it'll actually change how I interact with you. Hopefully, <laughs> you know, and I have empathy and understanding that I wouldn't have had otherwise, you know, or like, well, it's going to really hurt him if 
I do X or it really awakens their heart. If I do X, you know, like, you know, like it changes how you interact with people around you, you know, totally. And, and when I take people through, um, when I take groups through any gram stuff, I always say like anything that you share with someone else, this is something to be stewarded responsibly. Like if someone gives you a piece of who they are, a piece of their story, a window into how God made them, a glimpse of their heart, you're responsible to take care of that and to never use it to manipulate, never use it to tease, never use it to label. This is a powerful thing that we're sharing with each other. And it's in order to serve each other and love each other, not divide us into sides or numbers not to tease not to manipulate not to um like oh i know since you're a two you'll probably help me with that like (laughs) you know we have to use it in Uh, such a way that we're again serving each other and loving each other i have to admit there was this years ago so i'm not going to say names it's a confession i was on a i was on a date with a girl and i was like i wasn't it wasn't quite connecting whatever i got my phone out do a little quickie enneagram test for and uh turned out she was a type that is my least favorite type of person and i was like we're done like i like and and i explained to her like it's just not gonna work you know like fundamentally how we're wired just doesn't it's not gonna click here like she was so mad that uh some app test you know is why i ended things but but i know i know i don't want to go down this road with you totally (laughs) and and right people ask me all the time when i'm doing enneagram stuff like hey you know what do you think about a so uh you know a this type and a this type and i'm always like oh well i need a little more information are you married and if they're married i'm like you know what all the types can work together totally absolutely you know it's just each of us being healthy and blah 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 (laughs) and then if they're like no we're just dating i'm like oh hard pass do not date someone that that, that's that type (laughs) exactly it's true there are better there are more natural and more easy pairings and then pairings that are just always going to be pretty difficult yeah that that you know, again, that it's so informative and helpful. It's interesting. But you, I would just want to say thank you. You are the one, you are the person who really impacted my life with that. And it's a tool that God's used a lot in the years since then. So anyway, thanks. So talk to me about the book. You, oh, you, you haven't uh, written in a while. Don't uh, tell me about the book. Don't tell me about the book yet. You haven't written in a while. You've, that is true. I mean, it's yeah. been like cold Turkey for a couple, couple years. Yeah, um, Present Over Perfect came out in 2016. So you were writing it in 2015, right? Yeah. So it's been four Mm -hmm. years. Yeah. And so I did a a really busy year of travel after that book came out. Um, And then, yeah, just like a million different life things have happened. I've done a lot of speaking. So I've done a fair amount of writing in terms of like writing talks, you know, writing. I speak at our church sometimes, writing sermons. But I haven't done a long project for quite a while, and I am beyond rusty. I will say, I, you know, I did uh, somewhere in there. It's all sort of blurry. I got about a third of the way through a book, um, and I'm going to go back this summer and see if there are pieces of that that I can use. But I'm not totally sure. Um, but this is what I this is what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you the title of yeah. this next book because. Um, once I say the title publicly, then I have to do it. And inevitably, I'm going to change my mind right at the last minute, sure. which is what I, present over perfect, I like came to my publisher five minutes before publication and was like, great news, you guys, I have a whole new idea for a title. They were like, shut your face. <laughs> so now I know. They, and they said like, you, it doesn't matter how great your new title is. You've been like our marketing team has been working for months and you like wrote about it on the Internet. You have to use this title. And they were totally right. But so now now my my new promise to myself is I'm not going to say it out loud until I'm so absolutely sure uh, that I'm not going to change my mind. I think I mean, absolutely wise. What is your process? I've never written a book. I can't wrap my head around such an enormous project. What is your process like now that you're starting to like get back in the rhythm of it? What do you do? What's your day to day? Like, how do you approach it where it's not overwhelming? I would be be overwhelmed by it, you know? Um, well, this is, I, I think I choose to make it a little more difficult than one needs to. Um, every time I finish a book, I call my editor and I say, okay, you know what? This was sort of outrageously difficult. Next time we're going to have an outline and I'm just going to like tick through the outline, right? Like normal people. Um, and then every time I try to write an 
outline and it just is like a random list of things to try and I don't care about it and I lose it somewhere. So um, I, this sounds insane. I write essays for months, for months and months and months. I just write essays, 1300 words, 2600 words for a while. I was like, you could, I would like hit the last um, word of the essay and it would be exactly 1300 words just automatically. It was like set in my mind. Then for a while it was about 2400. It changes sometimes, but I write one bazillion essays and then I send them all to my editor and she says like, two or three of these don't make sense. One of these I think is your grocery list. Two or three of these are um, letters to people you, you haven't seen. What are you, what are you doing? And then these 10 are good. And then from those 10, we look at them and we say, what's the theme that's emerging here? What is this bigger story about? Where are some holes that could get filled in? And we just keep going back and forth like that till they're about, I try to have 55 great essays. And then we get together and we literally write each title of the essay on an index card and we spread them out all we've done this four times so far we spread them out all over my dining room table and we look for the groupings this is about what this is about what this is about what and then the goal is that we end up with about 40 essays and the reason I want to start with 55 is because um, an old friend of mine used to say you can tell the quality of someone's work by what they leave on the cutting room floor right like you never want to have just enough you want to have so much good stuff that you leave some behind. So uh, then we go from 55 down to 40 or maybe 38. And then they tell me here are the two themes that are missing, fill those in. Then we start looking at order. And then after that, um, you know, usually we start with a very vague theme, but we really know what the book's about after that whole process happens. That seems like way more work than necessary. I think, I think you're exactly right on that. I, I think that's true. I mean, but it sounds like you're backing, you're reverse engineering the book. I mean, like, like 100% true, Cameron. So you, hold on. Okay. So you didn't, you knew when you were living what became present over perfect, you knew that this was something you were, I remember you in that area, you were conscious of decisions yes. you were making. And like, this is something I'm going to pursue. I'm going to pursue being present over perfect in all these tangible ways. And then that became the book that like grew out of it. Did you not approach the book knowing that that was the theme or did you, is that one different? No, I would say with each of them, well, cold tangerines and bittersweet really were like very vague bread and wine. I knew was about food and life around the table, right? But there's also a lot of essays in there that have, nothing to do with food. They're about pregnancy and miscarriages and losing my grandma. And, you know, um, so I think that's what it is, is there's a very vague avenue that's very wide. And then I see how many totally unrelated things I can put into that avenue as well. And then we go from there. So I knew, I knew that present over perfect was about busyness and hustling and, worth and overworking and trying to regain some sense of groundedness um, that I had lost along the way. So I knew it was about that. But you find out halfway through that a lot of it's going to be about uh, about kind of parts of my faith that needed to be redeveloped or, or reshaped. Or um, so you, you find along the way, you know, uh, pr- bread and wine was supposed to be about food, but it was also a season where all of my friends and I were having babies and miscarriages and struggling with infertility. And so it ended up being a lot about that. So I start with a very open theme and then figure out which sub themes are going to kind of join it along the way. What? you know, observing your life from afar for the last couple of years, I can't figure out what your next book's going to be about. There's, <laughs> there's so many unrelated and interrelated things that have happened and the beauty and the loss and the kind of rebooting at this stage of life. And I mean, there's so many things you could latch onto. Do you have a sense of the direction or what God's pulling out of you for this next book? I do. I have one overall kind of overarching theme. And then I have probably four or five of those things that you were just referencing. There has to be something about, you know, kind of midlifey 40 ish stuff. There has to be something about a big move. There has to be something about kind of letting go of things the, the way you thought life was going to be. Um, so there, there's several different 
kind of buckets under the main theme. But I would say I'm, I'm leaving each of those buckets as options. And I'll let you know in three months which ones are full to overflowing and which ones are still empty. And I'll just sort of figure it out along the way. You just said, or is this a midlife crisis? This moving, what? moving at 40, <laughs> like moving, you've, you've rebooted your entire life. Is this your convertible? Is this your red convertible? And, and, uh, you know, like the guys or whatever, are you having a midlife? Are you guys doing that right now? And, you know, that's interesting. I think, I mean, maybe I'm open to that. Um, <laughs> I tend to think that present over perfect was sort of my midlife crisis. Oh yeah. 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 It, you know, Direction. it was the, yeah. um, everything's happening professionally and it's amazing. And also the insides of my life feel really yeah. off yeah. and terrible. And how do I make this all match? Yeah. And how do I choose what really matters to me as opposed to what other people, especially professional people are saying I should love and should care about. I see that. Yeah. And then I think Aaron's kind of midlife thing was kind of this move away from the traditional evangelical church experience to this sort of blended liturgical um, way of experiencing his faith faith personally, but then also leading other people in that. And so I think that's, and when, when I said things kind of, there's a lot that's been going on in us and in our family starting in 2016, I think that's sort of, we were both there. And that's when we turned 40, both of us. Um, and so I think maybe we had our midlife crises and the people we ended up as after the fact, the, the people we emerged as were ready for a new way of living. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I mean, new wine, new wine skin. I mean, you have, right. I mean, that's interesting though. Like the word cri midlife crisis is negative, but, but to say that I've lived as an adult for 15 years or whatever, and I've pursued this type of life or this direction or this job or this calling or whatever. And then you get to this point of maybe it didn't fulfill you the way you thought or I'm restless or I, why can't God still use me in a new way and whatever. And you just kind of like look at the horizon and you're going, wait, I don't, I'm not done. And like, sure, let's pick. It's not necessarily the cliche of I need a convertible. I never had a sports car, you know, when I was young, you know, it's, it's like, it could be a very positive thing, which is what it seems like is happening with, with you guys. Well, thank you. It's been, um, it has made us, uh, it has turned us into like rookies and learners again. And that has been really valuable. You know, there's something about being, well, certainly being a writer or being a pastor or worship leader like Aaron um, and being in your mid forties um, and being a parent, people think you're an expert, right? Like you should be the one who has all the answers and moving you just don't have, like, I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to take the subway. I don't know how to get our laundry done. I don't know how to get my groceries from Trader Joe's without texting Aaron on Ninth Avenue. Like, I, I bought too much again, you know? So, um, and I need him to come help me carry the bags home. Um, we have been, we're learners again, and we feel, there's a lot of energy in that. It feels really good. It feels like there's a lot more possibility, and we're recovering a sense of, like, more questions and answers, and that feels really good. And, and you're both going back to school. I mean, I, you know, I think it's interesting that people who choose to go back and pursue postgraduate degrees, you know, years down the road, it's like they approach it with such a intentionality that you just don't have in your early twenties, you know, a purposefulness that, you know, you're just trying to get through it, supposed to get a degree. And then you're like, you know, we look back at college and we're like, man, I can't believe I blew that opportunity to learn. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, I've been watching, you know, I haven't started classes yet, but the first two classes I'll take, I think, just as part of the required cur curriculum are Old Testament and New Testament. Like I took those 20 years ago. I would not say I was deeply involved in that educational experience. I was just doing the absolute bare minimum. I had like really important things on my mind, like dating and going to the beach. And I, like, I could not have cared less about either of those topics. And now 20 years later, it's a really different thing to dive back into those. I, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I also think it's interesting that you guys are, uh, you know, knowing what you knew in the life that you guys built, you were in the hub of the mega church seeker-friendly explosion in Chicago and, and, and what really defined evangelicalism for 20, 30 years, you guys were there in the heart of it. And you've in this kind of like lift your head up, clear eyes, what if kind of season 
you've chosen to go a very different direction in your faith community expression and stuff like that. Talk to me about that. Um, you know, I think at this point, we both feel really grateful for that experience. We, I would just speak for myself. I grew up in such an interesting, exciting community and I loved it and I loved being a part of it. And I learned so much and I got to have really incredible, interesting experiences and meet great people. And, um, I, I'm thankful for it every day. Um, also, increasingly, both of us, separately and together, have become more and more drawn to um, uh, Catholic, Episcopal, liturgical, high church experiences. And I think because of my, going back to it, because of my loyalty, mm. um, it felt to me like, like, oh, I love that stuff, but like, this is my home. Like, I don't you don't even get to ask that question, right? Mm. Like this is, this is my tradition. This is my home. Sure. If I were a different person, maybe I'd go have, you know, have a church experience more like that, but that's just like, not, it's like not what I'm going to do. And Aaron was a little bit more like, he's so much more, he's a four on the Enneagram. He's very much a futurist and innovator, uh, kind of a anti-traditionalist. And he was more like, we just we just get to craft our spiritual lives and experiences any way we want to. And and loyalty doesn't really that's not really what loyalty is for or about. And so let's create something. And so the practice, this gathering that he had started, was sort of a way to marry those two things. To still be at the church, you know, that represented our history and my loyalty, but also let him try some of these new things that he and I both were so excited about. And that was a wonderful season. Um, it really was. Um, and when it ended, it, it gave us an opportunity to ask what was next. And um, I'm sure you can imagine, I'm sure you're, we've talked about this, you're a little bit like this too, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, Aaron and I both you know, grew up in churches, worked in churches. We are real picky about a church that's going to be a good fit for us. Like, I have a very long list of things that it has to be and can't be, and I want it to be, and I dream about. And then he also has a very long list. And putting those two lists side by side, you sort of feel like you're looking for a needle in a haystack. Um, and we visited a lot of churches that are great churches. Obviously, the church we were at at home is a great church. We went to great churches all over the country. And for one reason, we were very, it was very Goldilocks, like, this is not our place. This is not our place and not right or wrong by any means, just not us. Hmm. And this church that we're a part of in New York, it's not perfect, um, but it is perfect for us. And it, it, and our kids love it. And so a lot of this journey, again, in this kind of variations on a theme, this surprised us. Um, New York was not on the radar, but we kept coming back. And this was a church that we both were excited to be a part of in a, in a way that felt really unusual right now. And so um, we're really grateful for it. We we sort of jumped in with both feet with a lot of unknowns. And, and we're really grateful for the, the changes we've been allowed to make. We feel really grateful. Do you, does it give you a different perspective on the Christian machine? I mean, you've been on, you've, you've seen how the sausage is made. I mean, not only just the local church expression, but you're one of the biggest Christian authors. You, you speak at the biggest conferences and all that. I mean, how do you, how do you marry the tension of the authentic you know, Christian community expression that you're looking for? And then do you have to almost like play a role or put on a different facade for the, for the public audience that looks to you, right? Uh, no, no, I, I, I understand the question that you're asking. And I would say, um, I am not very much a part of that particular industry or world anymore. And that's very much by choice. I was um, wondering if you saw yourself as an outsider now. Um, I see myself as a devout Christian. I am more serious about my faith than I I ever have been. I'm more interested in the Bible and in learning. I am my my church attendance is great. Um, <laughs> I I love being. Uh, I, I preach at our church. I um, as an as an individual human, I am a more devout Christian than maybe in any other season of my life. Also, the professional Christian. Um, media and social media and conference thing, I have been inching my way out of that since before 
present over perfect. And uh, specifically more so after that book was released. Um, And um, it's not right or wrong. It's just not for me. It's not my place. Um, I've noticed the very deliberate shift. I mean, you were prior to present over perfect. You were, you were on the fast track. You had been, the machine swept you up, you know, it's like, it just, it's, and it's almost like it, and so, and you could have kept going. I mean, it wasn't like it chewed you up and spit you out. It was like you were swept up in the machine and you were like ascending and ascending and ascending. And then it's like, you said, I want off this ride. I mean, like mm-hmm. you literally just, I saw it happen. And you and I talked about it a lot in that season. I remember you were one of the people that I, it's like, I, I had a picture of where I was and where I wanted to be. And they were, um, they were really different. Um, and, but, but it's a hard train to get off and it's moving very quickly. And a lot of people have opinions about it. And you were one of the people that I remember calling several times saying like, Hey, um, I'm thinking about saying no to these five or six things. And, um, that feels really scary, but it feels in line with where I'm trying to go. Am I nuts? And you were one of those voices that said, I've heard you talk about what you want your life to be like. And in order to get your life to what you want it to be like, it's, it's, it's right to say no to those things. So you were a very helpful voice in all that for me. Thank you. (laughs) I think of like pastors like Francis Chan and others who have like, you know, they had the mega church and then they said, you know what? I'm, I, I don't want that. That's not, you know, and then they like walk away at the peak. You didn't walk away. I mean, you're still writing and stuff, but I mean, it's been four years since your last book and, or it will be. And I mean, that's a big gap and you're not, you know, you're not speaking 50 dates a year anymore and stuff. And you're not ubiquitous on social media. Like you were at one point and it's a big risk you're taking. Are you happy? Um, it's, Yes, I'm happy. And um, it's a big risk, except that those markers were not the markers I wanted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, You mentioned something about like, do you have to put on a professional Christian thing? And that's the heart of this conversation for me. That's something I'm absolutely unwilling to do. Um, I don't believe that I'm not a brand I don't like the word platform. I'm not a persona. I'm, I'm a living, breathing human who makes mistakes, who changes her mind, who's growing along the way. And I'm willing to invite people along that journey with me, but I'm not willing to pretend. And I'm not willing to pretend I have answers that I don't have. And I'm not willing to be um, like, a, like a mood board that someone created in a marketing meeting that just keeps acting out the same thing over and over again. I'm going... Uh, I don't want to have to perform and I specifically don't want to have to perform anything about my spiritual life. And when I mean perform, I don't mean like work hard. I will work. I mean, you know me, I'm a very hard worker and that's valuable to me. And I believe in working hard, but I'm not going to pretend and I'm not going to have a public self that's different than my actual self. Hmm. That's a total non-negotiable for me. Um, uh, yeah. What happens when, you know, the expectations of on your next book, right? Your publisher, I'm sure has a lot writing on it. Uh, uh, your, your audience is going to be highly anticipating it, especially now that they know you're writing again and they can't wait. And there's a lot of expectations and there's going to be a lot of marketing expectations, and a lot of speaking expectations. And, and a lot of people are going to need you to fulfill all that. I mean, how does that, is that weigh on you or is that something you're like, you know what? I'm looking forward to it in spurts, you know, but like. What? Totally. Um, I, I mean, I absolutely, I mean, and I tell my team this all the time. Like I believe in marketing. If I'm going to write a book that I care about, that I'm going to put a couple years of my life into, I will absolutely, um, try to get it in the hands of as many people as I can. I just won't pretend or, or play act in doing that. I'll, I'll absolutely do a tour. We're already talking about it. It's not that I'm like never going to stand on a stage again, but it'll be different this time. And it'll be a little bit more connected to my whole life and people I've wanted to work with for a long time. And um, I, I don't want to say doing it on my terms, but a little bit, um, a little bit less joining someone else's 
um, kind of big thing and a little bit more doing a smaller thing, but with the people I really care about in a way that really makes sense to me. Well, I, I mean, we've missed you. And so I'm really excited to, you know, hear that there's another book coming and that you're on your way back to kind of reemerge. I mean, it's, I mean, watching you just as a friend, but also on social media and stuff, it's, it's been like a very unexpected two years, you know, just like, and, and it seems like hearing you talk, it's like, okay, you're, you're, it sounds like you're rooted, your feet are firm and you're looking ahead and not that you weren't in the midst of all that, but it seemed like a lot of external circumstances were dictating what was happening. And now it's like, okay, the dust has settled and this is what God's doing. And it was like, it seems like be like a clarity in your voice right now. Oh, thank you. I think, you know, one of the deals I made right at the very beginning of my writing career was um, every time a new book comes out, every time I write a new book, the promise that I make to my readers is that I will have become, since the last book, I will have become a better writer and a better human Mm. every time. Um, And man, obviously you're in media and content world, the pressure to create content sort of faster than we can even think, uh, it's very real. Um, People want books quickly. And then in, in between books, they want tours and they want articles and they want podcasts. And if you say yes to all of those things, you're talking and writing and producing so much content. Um, and some people absolutely are just able to generate so much more content than I am. That's just like a how God made them thing. And I'm thankful for that. But I think also there's something valuable to be, it's been valuable for me to be quieter for a while, Mm -hmm. to do some learning, to do some listening, to do some recentering before I start producing tons of content. I don't, I don't know that it's healthy for us to expect authors or speakers or pastors to be just like never ending content machines. I don't think that's how our souls work. I mean, it's as you're talking about that, it's like, I'm realizing it's Sabbath it's withdrawing. It's, it's Jesus 40 days in the wilderness before it's like you, it like, it's like there's the rhythm of our spiritual life that we need to withdraw and get rooted and go deeper. And then God does something in that season that then, you know, comes out of us in the next wave. But if we don't stop, like you just run on fumes. And I think that's why we see a lot of Christian leaders, you know, go away. <laughs> it's like, they're just, they're on fumes. And then well, and that's I think, unhealthy. I think it's why sometimes the content, um, if I had to produce that much content all the time, if I had to preach every single week and do books on top of that and do podcasts and interviews on top of that, I don't think it would bring out the best in me. Both, I don't think my content would be great and I don't think it would do good things. I, I agree with you all the way. I, I think it, the pressure to keep producing uh, compromises things both in the content and inside of us. Yeah, I mean, because either one of two things happens, either you can't, one person can't create all that content. So it's not their content, they're having other people create it for them. And they're just the messenger. And then that's not authentic. Or they are having to produce all that content, and they aren't able to manage life and their position, you know, leading and you know, you know, all that stuff falls away. I mean, there's a lot of ways it can get really unhealthy. I I wonder if we can pivot the church to embrace what you're embracing, which is seems to be like intentional seasons of withdrawal and then ministry and then withdrawal again, and then new and different ministry, you know, um, that seems like it'd be good. I think that'd be really healthy. I mean, the pastors I know work so hard and they are under constant pressure, especially to produce content. And I would love to see their churches and the wider kind of Christian conversation be more about realistic expectations for what each of us can produce and be responsible for. I think that'd be healing for all of us. Yeah. Well, I, hearing that siren, where like, tell me about your neighborhood in New York. I'm just so curious. Like I picture you like, uh, like you've got mail, like you guys are meeting in the flower garden and you get the little market and you're walking around with your little farm to table things. I figure that's your life now. You know, it, I mean, you're not that far off. No so way. the funny thing, <laughs> <laughs> 
the funny thing about it. So I think, I think most people think like a lot of our friends are like, Hey, like, are you okay? They're in the big city. I think they're very worried about us. I think they think like we live in times square, you know, like in a high rise and we haven't had like, we haven't like breathed fresh air or like seen grass for a long time. Um, the one of the best parts about this whole seminary thing is we live on the campus and it is an absolute dream. Um, it's the it, our our building was built in I think 1891. I think that date is actually right. right. And it's this beautiful red brick neo gothic building and it takes it's a loop. It's a ring of a whole um, city block and then it, and it's gated and then the interior of it interior of it is all green space and big trees and there's like little groupings of Adirondack chairs and kids running around. I mean, it's pretty dreamy. Um, so it's not at all. And so we live in Chelsea and it's very residential. It's not like high rises and big. It's it's very quiet. It's very neighborhoody. We're getting to know our neighbors. We walk our kids to school. Um, we have a little French cafe on the corner that we love. And we have a farmer's market. And we have our, our breakfast place that we like. Like it's, it's not... Um, like, oh my gosh, this big concrete jungle that, and we have to like escape to anywhere. Like it, it's a pretty great place to live. We really like it. Are you doing the Sunday dinners or, or are you bringing people over and hosting and doing all the things that you used to in Chicago? Yes, of course. Absolutely. We, uh, and that's one of the, I'll do that anywhere. I, I could live in a, you know, camper. I could live in a whatever. I, that's how I'm always going to live. And I think people are a little surprised here. Um, because people don't cook a ton here and they don't have people over. You just like, there's so many great restaurants. Why wouldn't you just go, go out? out? Yeah. So it's very much a restaurant culture. And I can tell that people are a little surprised when they're like, Oh, where did you get this? I'm like, well, I just, cooked it on my stove, you know? Um, but I think it's fun. And we have, you know, I think when we, we didn't know like, okay, we have 800 square feet. How many people can we feed in this apartment? And we can definitely do 20 at least. And we do it a lot. And we just did it for Aaron's birthday. We've had lots of different parties. We've had lots of family come stay with us. So, um, I, I do not have, a, a big kitchen or a fancy kitchen, but I don't think that's what it's about anyway, right? People love to be fed. They love to be gathered together. They love to sh hear each other's stories. And so we'll do that anywhere we are. Did you, this is, this, this would say a lot about if you view this as a temporary thing or if you guys are, are in, did you sell all your furniture or did you, is it in storage somewhere? Um, we sold most of it and we kept just a couple things that we had like real attachment to my dining room table. I was going to say, where's and, your dining room table? Okay. Um, so that was one. And some of it is I'm like so sentimentally attached to it. Also, I got it for an absolute steal. And if I ever have to replace it, it'll cost four times as much. And I just can't bear to do that. Um, but my sister-in-law is using it at her house for a while. Oh. And she knows that if, so um, my sister-in-law has my dining room table and my in-laws have Aaron's piano. Oh. Those were the two things oh, that we, okay. we were like, we can't, we can't yeah. bring them here, but we're, they're a part of our life forever, wherever we end up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, so, but we really, we got rid of a lot of stuff and that feels, that's even been a really fun part of it. I'm, we're learning. You don't need nearly as much stuff as you thought. And a small space is suiting us really well. And th that part of it's been really fun. It's like freeing. I, I moved it out is. of the house I lived in for like a 10, 11 years. I moved out of it last year and had to, you know, downsize so much and get rid of so much stuff. And it was like, I don't even know why I had that closet full of those things. You know, it's like, why did I keep all that? It's if you, if you have the space for it, you'll accumulate it. You'll fill every closet and every bedroom. But, you know, our friends here have been really good about reminding us, like, every single one of my friends says every single thing you own is paying rent to live in your apartment. And so you need to evict things every day. Like, you just live in too small a space to let things encroach upon your very limited square footage. And so we're just, we're just getting rid of things all the time. And that feels really good. That's the Bob Goff thing of uh, quitting something and creating even in our lives every Thursday he quit something because he said if we're maxed out if we're full how do we expect God to do new things in our lives so like create space beforehand in anticipation of the next and the new and absolutely you're living your life that way that's exciting well it's been a lot of fun catching up thanks for joining me and I cannot wait to see what book emerges out of the 5,000 essays you're about to write so uh, well, it's always great to talk with you. I hope you come to New York soon. I would love to see you guys. Absolutely. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, Shauna. Okay. See ya.
That was my friend, Shauna Nequist. Make sure to check out her most recent book, Savor. It's available everywhere. And follow her on Instagram, at sneakwist. Hey, if you like this episode of Unedited, I'd love your help spreading word about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts helps a ton, as well as sharing it on social media. And you won't want to miss our next episode when I'm joined by one of my good friends, rapper, poet, author, the list goes on and on, Propaganda. We talk about a lot, including some of the challenges facing the church today. You don't want to miss it. Well, I'm Cameron Strang. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time here on Unedited. Relevant Podcast Network.